Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Dubai Stars. Tonight, I don't have only a Dubai star, I have a global star. It's Zisha. Zisha is the founder of One Capital, founder of One Investment, and lately the founder of CPIC Global. Thank you so much for being on this episode, T. Thank you very much for having me, Anthony. It's such a pleasure, man, too, because you have such an inspirational story, and this is all what this podcast is about. So all of this success, all of this businesses, it wasn't given, it wasn't founded. You have to get to a really rough ride to reach where you are today. And that's why we're here tonight to know your story, to know the background, where does like, Z come from. We need all of these details. So I'm ready for it. Let's, let's do it. Let's have a deep dive in. Let's go backwards, you know, and tell us where does Zish uh, come from? So you were born in Pakistan, right? No, I was, I was born in the UK, but uh-huh. I moved to Pakistan when I was eight years old. And actually, to be honest, that's probably the start of the turbulence of my life. <laughs> because uh, when, when I moved to Pakistan, I was a very good student here in the UK at a young age. Um, I was always actually the best student in my class. But when I went to Pakistan, uh, English isn't the first language. Urdu is the main language. I could not speak a word of Urdu. So what happened is over a year or two, I basically just couldn't catch up with their education system. The subjects were different. There was Urdu, Islamic studies, Pakistan studies, and all these different things. And, and, you know, I just couldn't adjust to it all. Uh, So basically, by the time I was like, 11, 12 years old, I became a major rebel. Because everybody wants to be good at something, everybody wants to be known for something, right? And yeah. before I be yet, I was the best at education. And when I went there and that got unsettled, so I took the, okay, let's be the funniest guy. Let's be the, let's be the naughtiest guy. Let's be the biggest you became the You became the foreigner and you had it to fit in. Yeah, exactly. So I was the biggest trouble causer. That was me. I How was it like that? Wow. <laughs> Were you bullied? No, I was a bit of a bully myself. Okay, okay. Actually, no, to be honest, you know what? That, that, that's funny you say that, and it made me think. Initially, when I got there, yeah, people would, people did try to bully me a little bit. And I think that was probably, you made me think of something that I didn't even think of. That's probably yeah. one reason why I went down that route, route of being really overly loud and and naughty and misbehaved because that aura of confidence then pushes people away, right? So it, was, it was a blessing. Yeah, it I remember your that. character. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the beginning, I had, I remember uh, a couple of fights, two or three fights at school. Uh, and that was only because people used to like pick on me because I couldn't speak Urdu properly or they thought that, oh, you think you're really, you know, you think you're like mm. some foreigner, you think you're English or something. So yeah, I had a couple of uh, run-ins like that. So that's where the boxing skills came from, you know, from the schools, from those fights. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, so you, you like you've been brought up all the time and in, in Pakistan, or you moved back to UK? How did it go? Then um, when I got to about the age of sixteen, I was so so misbehaved. I'd got kicked out of four schools, as I mentioned. 
And I was just a nightmare. I was a terror. I was the, a parent's worst nightmare. And so what my parents did is they sent me back to the UK because they felt that, you know, in a society like Pakistan, where, you know, you can get away with doing certain things, like the rules are a bit crooked, you know, you can have more leniency. They thought this guy needs to go to the UK, where it's a rigid society where you get certain things, you just can't do them. So they yeah. sent me over here uh, and I lived here for about a year. I lived in my auntie's house and uh, they gave me like very little money and things like that. And they thought, you know, he's going to go there and like sober up and get clean and good. But I went here, I embraced this life fully, you know. I was like 16, 17, and because, I'm, uh, because we're from like, you know, the, the, the east of the world, we have beards early, right? So I was yeah. going out to nightclubs and this and that, and I got a part-time job at a restaurant as a waiter. I was making money, spending money, and I had a great time. And when my right. parents speak to me, they were hoping that they'd speak to me and I'd be saying, Oh guys, it's really sad, you know. And oh, I miss happy. Pakistan. I want to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy's like, "Woo, have a great time." The best thing you ever done to me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you finished school, what did you get yourself into? So after school, I went to university, and to be honest, I only went to university because that is what um, my parents had told me. And everyone around me had told me is what you have to do. But I yeah. never went to university with any aim or goal. I didn't go, for example, I wasn't studying a degree in medicine to become a doctor or studying law to become a lawyer or even studying finance to become a banker. I was just at university because that's what I was told I was supposed to do. Right? So which major you picked? Uh, literally. So I, in the summer after everything was done, Uh, like all the exams were finished, A-levels, etc. I was sat there saying, shit, man, I've got to go to university now. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And so I just asked someone, and they said, you know, economics is a good thing to do. Economics is very good. So I was like, okay, boom, I'll do economics. Yeah, it's a very, very nice word to hear, you know, economics. Yeah, yeah economics it sounds really yeah. good. So, so I went for economics, um, and then I stayed at university for a year, and... That's not the wrong. Sorry? <laughs> That's not the wrong, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I went to, uh, when university started, I think I went to one lecture, right? And then the whole year, I did not go to another lecture again. You were in the cafeteria, you know, and just meeting. Yeah, just chilling, man. <laughs> no, I started some businesses. So I started promoting club nights. Okay. Yeah, so I'd go and book like venues around the city because everyone wants to go out, right? I'd go and book venues around the city and like, every Thursday I'd have a club night and I would promote the club night and I would charge the entrance fee. So the, yeah. the club or the bar, they would obviously make their money from the drinks and whatever. And I was the guy at the door charging like three pound entry. So we would I get, used to like, do the same. <laughs> so I know this we used to call it PR management, you know? Just yeah, like 10% it, it, from the bill, you know, <laughs> whatever the bill comes, 10% is mine. <laughs> okay, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get the 10%, we would just get the entrance fee. So we'd okay. set the price, three pounds or whatever, we'd get 200 people coming, right? So we'd make like 600 pounds, I had a partner, we'd make like 150 pounds each. 
And yeah, man, it was happy it days. Was happy days. Happy yeah. Days. Back then, a night out. The only thing you you were uh, bothered about is a night out, and a night out at university costs twenty pounds. Yeah. Right? So, so, so you were one fifty you were bowling, you know? You were bowling, you're the big boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so so what happened once is I was leaving the student union, which is like the cafeteria and bar for students, in the afternoon. And as I'm walking out, on the first day of university, the first day ever, I went to a lecture, that one lecture I went to, and I met this one guy. And I didn't see this guy again all year, right? But when I went on that final day when I left the student union, it was towards the end of the year, I see the same guy. And I said, oh, hey, bro, how are you doing, man? Good to see you. He's like, are you coming? I was like, huh, where? He's like, we've got an exam right now. I'm like, are you sure, me as well? He's like, yeah, you as well. It's a final exam for one knows which course out of the semester. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, I'll come. And uh, that's the only exam that I passed because it's the only exam that I did. I did no coursework, no work, nothing. Just that one exam I did because of that guy and I passed it. Other than that, nothing I did there. I just chilled for a year. That's weird how did you pass it. I mean, wow, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> Since you haven't attended all year, you know, just go do it. Must be like yeah, an easy exactly, course. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're gifted. So Z, when did you get yourself into, um, you know, like in this stage where you're having this life, it all looks fun, you know, and eventually it will become boring and you were like, you know what, man, I need to do something with my life. And when did you reach this stage? Uh, no, straight out of university. So after a year of university, I left and um, I started working for Damak. Damak Properties. Yeah, Damak Properties, you're Dubai, you know, the king of real estate in Dubai. They have offices all over the UK they had. And I got a job, I was 20 years old. I got a job in their Birmingham office as a property consultant. And uh, yeah, that's what, that's what, so immediately I was, I was like, you know, I was in university in one city and I moved to a different city, got a job with Damak over there. I started working straight away. There was no lag period. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was on the ball. Um, because I knew, look, it wasn't that I was a guy who's like, oh, I just want to live my life chilling, right? I was always a guy who was like, you know, I'm going to do something major. I'm going to do something big. You felt like you're destined for it, but you cannot it's know like, what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I feel like I'm destined to do major big things. So it was just that, but for me, it was like, I don't have to go to university to do big things. I don't have to graduate to do big things. Right. So I got straight into it. And then, so what happened is that I spent about six months in the Max Dubai, uh, Birmingham office, uh, did a few deals, was making a few thousand pounds in commission plus basic salary. And I'm talking to people out in Dubai and, you know, they're doing like 100,000 dirhams a month, 150,000, 200,000 dirhams a month in the same property consultant role. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing like 10,000 dirhams commission on a good month. And I'm like, wow, that's good. These guys are doing 200,000 in a good month. I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in the right market, but in the wrong place. <laughs> I'm, I'm only getting the crumbs out of it. You know, they're having the big pie and I'm getting the crumbs. What would happen is you're sat in Birmingham trying to sell a property in Dubai. The guy's like, you're talking to a buyer. He's like, yes, I'm going to Dubai next week and I will, I will finalize my decision. 
keep in touch yeah. with you on the phone. Man, he goes to Dubai, some other guy closed him. And you're sat there in Birmingham trying to call him, hi, are you in Dubai yet? Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> like it's done already, buddy. But Z, tell yeah. me before, like when when you joined the, the real estate development, like Damak, Damak is like we call it the school of hustle. You know, they train you like beasts. Like you, like you get to know how to, you know, to handle every objection. How to always say the proper uh, pitching, everything. So when you came in, how was your first week by picking up the phone, calling someone? Like because you didn't have experience. Like you were very good of handling people in different areas, which is clubbing. Everyone is happy clubbing, but not like everyone is looking to get this phone call from someone telling them, "Hey, I have an opportunity for you. Would you consider investing?" Overseas, there's, there's there's a few like qualities that I had early on in my career which really helped me progress. Okay, the number one quality is that I was always willing to be the hardest worker in the room. Right, I was when everyone wants to go home at six o'clock, I will sit there till ten o'clock. Yeah, when everyone's sitting and chatting and talking, I will still be making my phone calls and working. Right, because common sense just tells me that if I can just work more than everyone else, no matter if somebody is even more talented than me, I will go further than them. Right, so I would always just work the hardest. Right, so I always had that talent. Um, and the other thing was I had a natural knack for sales. Just knack, absolutely natural. Just a thing for sales. Like I just understand people. I just understand yeah. how to talk to people, how to connect with people, how to build credibility for myself and my organization, which is very important in sales, is making the other person not just like you, but respect you, 100%. right? There's a lot of people you see in sales and they're on the phone and the client is their best friend, right? But in six months, in one year, they've closed nothing with that client. That's useless. You're Mr. Nice Guy who's not getting no business, Right, you need to be a nice guy who's also a respected guy. Right, that I'm a busy person. Right, I'm an expert in this area, whether it's property, whether it's whatever it is. So yes, I'll talk to you about friendly things. We'll build a rapport and relationship. But at the end of the day, the basis of this relationship is business. Everything we talk about should be linked to business. You know, me talking to you and having a long conversation of 25 minutes about your football team, right? In the, in the early part of a relationship is not building any credibility. The sales guy's thinking, oh yeah, I'm making great friends with him. I'm talking about football and his grandchildren. Yeah, he thinks you're a time waste. He thinks you've got lots of time and you've not yeah, got much to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's thinking of you right now. He's not looking at you as a serious player in the game, right? You want to talk to him and have a friendly conversation. Talk to him about his investments. Talk to him about his property decisions. Talk to him about his aspirations in life. You know, talk to him about these things which link into your business. Then you're moving him along in the sales funnel in the process and getting him to where you want to be. So sitting on the phone, talking to somebody about half an hour about their granddaughter and how cute and how she started to walk and his favorite football team. It's not going to get you nowhere. You want to close the deal, talk business, make sure the other person knows you're serious and your time is precious. Absolutely. So you were like, it's about time to move to Dubai. How did you take yeah. the decision? Like, I mean, the decision, oh, yeah. okay, you got this. But. 
and that was the best thing i ever did so literally financially, were you okay sorry were you okay financially like dubai is a massive city man no no i was not okay financially i was i moved to the i came to dubai and i didn't have any money at all i crashed at my friend's house for the first two three weeks okay right you were sitting on the so, couch Uh no he had a nice house he had a family oh, okay. house okay. and uh, he had a family house and he had a guest bedroom right mm-hmm. so he let me stay then I, i crashed in his guest bedroom while i found a job and got everything put together um but it was the best thing that i did you know and um when when i got there like all of a sudden within like two months i went from making 10000 dirhams a month to making 100000 dirhams a month right But exactly what, what you visualize in your mind. Like if this yeah. can do it, I can even do it better than them. I can do it better than them, exactly. Yeah. And I, I knew that the skill is about being in the right place. And and the funny thing is that there was one guy who was my friend who used to work in sales also. He was two, three years older than me, right? And he was working in sales for five years. He was a sales manager at a telesales company. I don't know, they were selling phones or something, right? And when I was leaving to Dubai, I decided on like a Tuesday that look, I'm moving to Dubai. The opportunity is there. I told this guy, I was like, look, I'm moving to Dubai. Let's go together, right? Property market out there is booming. I've only got a few months experience. You've got years of experience. This is what kind of money is being made. Let's go and do it together. He said to me, uh, yeah, for sure, bro. Let's do it. Let's go. That was Tuesday. Saturday, I had packed my bags. I had moved, right? This guy I spoke to him on Thursday I said look my tickets are booked I'm leaving on Saturday are you coming or not he's like 100% bro you go on Saturday right I'm going to come on Monday Tuesday next week to this day it's been 12 years I think <laughs> he's still he's still in the same city in the same small town where I left him so the big difference in life honestly comes by taking risks yeah like taking the like jumping on the opportunity taking the leap of faith you know it's not everyone can do it people are so attached to their comfort zone like that's my work that's my family that's my friends that's why i'm chill happy days they don't see like life is way bigger than this circle or this box they are in life has got a beautiful way of working itself out for the people who strive yeah you know people who work hard and put themselves in risky positions and put themselves out there nature uh the world mother nature god however you want to phrase it has a way of looking after those people they get looked after the risk takers they get looked after and you could i could sit there for example and sit and say okay i've got a job here i've got a place to live i'm making some commission i've got a stable salary should i leave all of this and move to dubai because i've got nothing behind me no no savings or anything it's a big risk right or should i take the leap of faith most people don't take the leap of faith that's that's a key 100%. difference between people who are successful and not successful the people who are successful they didn't know anything more than the people who are not successful the only difference was that they had more they gained more experiences they took more risks and because of taking the risk they gained more experiences and the more experiences they gained that made them bigger and better and more intelligent 
I'm sure even Z, like you've noticed during all of the phases you went through life, you meet people that they used to do amazing. They used to work like animals. They made the money and they got stuck in the comfort zone where they were like lay down, you know? Yeah. And this is super poisonous because once you're comfortable and you got lazy, not much people can come back from it. You know, mm -hmm. so it's either that you have nothing and you're happy in your comfort zone or you start making money. Like once you're going to make it, either you elevate for the next level and you start climbing walls and mountains or you're going to stick where you are. Yeah, it, but look, at the same time, though, actually, the thing is that some people like they've got certain aims and goals in life. Some people might say, look, my aim and goal in life is I want to have 15 properties right? Worth $10 million, right? Bringing me income every year of $150,000 for argument's sake, probably $15 million worth of property, 10% yield, perfect. Yeah. And I'm happy in life, right? And they call it a day there. There's some people who are like, no, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. But the point is that, look, man, it's, 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 it's not easy. It's stressful. You know, every single day where you're in the business world, where you're fighting, where you're trying to do something bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, you lose your hair, man. Of course. <laughs> your, hair, your hair starts turning white, you know, you start talking yeah. to yourself, you know, when you're driving, yeah. you start making scenarios in your head, you know, you smile, you gain weight, you lose weight, like, of course. Everything you put on weight, you stop ignoring your, you start ignoring your health, you lose weight. Just you know, yesterday my wife said to me, um, Zishan, can you can you uh, come home early because I haven't seen you in nine days. I didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, you don't. I yeah. Because nine days I haven't seen you. I was like, what do you mean you haven't seen me? She's like, okay, so all of last week, every night you had dinner. I did. Every night I had a dinner. And this isn't a glorious... You think about it and you look at it and you think, oh, look, fancy restaurant. They're in Nobu. They're in Novikov. They're at Sushi Samba. Glamorous dinner. Nah, man. It's, it's obligations. You've had a long day at work. All you want to do is go home and put your pajamas on, watch some TV and go to sleep or read a book, go to sleep. But no, you've got obligations. People are there. There's expectations. You need to go there. You need to put your game on. Game face on, talk business, talk this, talk that. It's all draining. It's energy, man. And anyways, then you're going to go through all of last week. It was dinners. Then weekend, Saturday, Sunday, both days I had work. On Sunday, I had to drive six hours somewhere and come back. And then yesterday, uh, on what day is it today? Look at this, bro. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so then Monday, I had a late night at the office again. Mm. Tuesday... Yesterday, she was like, listen, just come home. And it made me realize, oh, shit, this is what's been going on for the last 10 days. And I told her, I can't. I'm going to be home by 11, 12, because I've got some shit. <laughs> so, so now your wife is feeling like she's in the long-distance relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she can hear you over the phone. <laughs> I guess, look, the, the, my, my point of saying this, though, is that if people think that it's going to come without sacrifice... You know, it's, that's not true. You've got to, in anything in life, you get what you what you put in. Yeah. When I was when I was twenty years old at university, everything I have now is what I dreamed of. Oh, I'll be flying first class. I'm going to be 
candid and real with you guys, yeah? I was flying first class, traveling all over the world whenever I want to travel. I want to have a Rolls Royce. I want to have a Lamborghini. I want to have a Bentley. I want to be living in the most beautiful area in central London, in the most beautiful property, in a penthouse with this, with that. And, you know, I want to be married and this is my office will look like this and my kids will go to this school. You know, all those ideas, right? Alhamdulillah, I have everything, right? But there's a big difference in what I thought it would be like and what it's actually like. There's yeah. a big difference. Because the sacrifice that I have to put in every single day to have those things means I can't really enjoy them to the extent that I Not thought. Not only to have it, to maintain it. Yeah. It requires maintaining it is harder than making it. You know, making it, first of all, you feel like, yeah, okay. Once you make it, you're like, okay, I've never want to go back to that life again. Now I need to maintain it. So act smart. Don't be stupid. You, you spend all of your money before, do proper investment, keep on hustling. Like, yeah. here, for me, I tell you honestly, do you know that I don't dare to take any vacations more than 10 days? I don't really? dare to do it. I'm always afraid that once I'm going to leave more than 10 days, I'm, the mindset I'm going to go out from the game and I'm going to be having difficulty to get back into it, you know? So I always take like 10 days. Even on my vacations, I'm always on the phone, replying to this WhatsApp, sending those emails, entertaining inquiries, you know? And she gave me the look. She was like, we're on vacation. Like, babe, you love this style? If you love this style, that's the fuck. That's what I want to do. That's the shit I need to do to maintain this stuff. To maintain this life. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, the, but the point is that when, when, when you're younger and you imagine having all these things and you actually have them, that, that it's two completely different worlds, you know, because the, the, you've got to put in the effort to achieve those things and yeah. it just changes it changes really? the dynamic. I guess I, what I when, think is now that I think about it is that really uh, it will be my children who enjoy my hard work. Yeah. You know? Because they don't have to put in the hard work for the results. They'll have all of it there and they'll be the ones enjoying it. So uh, I guess when, when you When you achieved all of these goals, like everything that you dreamt of, when you achieved it, did you stop and look and you were like, man, I've been dreaming too small. There is way more stuff I need to do. Did this idea occur to you? It's like, oh, I dreamt of this life. Now I made it. Now what's what next? No, I've not even I've not even got to where I want to get to yet. Okay. Yeah, I've not reached that point yet. So, you know, when I reach that point, then then let's see what happens from there. But at the moment, I haven't reached that point where I'm like, I've got everything that I want. You got me interested. Sorry? You have you got me interested now. You have three multi-million dollars company. You have all of the cars, all of the luxury, the homes, the investment. You have a wife, you have a kid. Uh, thank God you're in a very good health. I've seen like six months back, you used to be chubby. Now you lost the weight, you're training, taking care of yourself. So what's yeah. the ultimate goal? Man, the ultimate goal is to do, to do is legacy, you know? Now... I've covered my basis. I've got enough money for myself, my lifestyle, my children, my family, etc. Now it's about doing monumental shit. Shit that people look at and say, wow, 
this guy did that. You know what I mean? Changing stuff. Like, who inspires me? This is on my desk every single day. Steve Jobs. He changed the world. Do you know what I'm saying? He changed the world. He improved our lives. That's impact. Yeah. That's what interests me now. So that's what we want to be remembered. That he did something, invented something that changed everything. Change something. Just, just something that makes life better. No, even in real estate, you can do it. You know, even in real estate, you can do it. You, you know, I do look at other ventures outside of real estate, but even in real estate, there's ways that you can do amazing things, right? Cool. Even yeah. amazing projects across the world. Even now, people say, wow, have you ever seen that project? Have you ever seen that project? A great example is, is the one in Dubai. What is, what is the name of it? Al-Barari? Yeah. For example, everyone talks about it. It's a game changer. You know what I mean? So even in real estate, there's ways you can do it. But yeah, but I want to do legacy things. Legacy, that's what interests me. Let's talk now about the first breakthrough. You came to Dubai, you start doing the work, you're making 100,000 dirhams a month, 150,000 dirhams a month, happy days. You yeah. can afford whatever you want. And let's yeah. say you didn't have much. So you, of course, you want to go out not and spending and just like feeling it. Listen, How was this period? Listen, for me, um, in my entire life before that, going out and spending uh, 150 dirhams on a dinner was a lot of money. That was an expensive <laughs> restaurant. Yeah, I'm being serious, bro. It was an expensive restaurant. I didn't know there were restaurants more expensive than that. I didn't know that you could spend more than 150 to 200 dirhams at most on a meal, right? Sorry, for so for all of the listeners, this is 40 and 50 dollars. So I don't understand the dirhams. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going in dirhams. Okay, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. it's like it's like 35, 40 pounds, or like 50 dollars, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, <laughs> so I got to Dubai, and I'm making like 100,000 dirhams a month, or like let's say 30,000 dollars a month. All of a sudden, I found out there's restaurants where you and your friends can have dinner for 10,000 dirhams in a night. Yeah, so you can spend $3,000 on dinner, I find out. I didn't even know these places existed before. I was like, what? What is this magic? What is this sorcery? It's called Zuma. <laughs> now it has sister companies. <laughs> yeah, you know, so yeah. now Dubai is full. Back in those days, it was like Zuma, and I think that was it. But yeah. now there's so many restaurants in Dubai, it's crazy. But, you know, so then I started, you know, making friends who were spending like this. A lot of them were much richer than me. They came from wealthy families and everything, you know. And then we were like, right, we're going out and we've got big groups with us. And, you know, and you, the money, basically, if I was making 100,000, I was spending 110. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't regret it. I had a great and amazing time. I had a fantastic time. It was it was beautiful. It was amazing. Right? And you learned a lot. You learned, you had the experience here in Dubai. Oh, what's lovely? So yeah, I you can meet so even people that you don't dream about meeting them. You just meet them in Dubai. They come to you and they want your service. And you were like, opened, oh wow! It opens your mind up. It opens yeah. your mind up so much for a, for a kid like me who was you know going to university thinking that. Uh, I, uh, you know, 200 dirham dinner was very expensive to all of a sudden being there, 
the people that I was meeting. You, what you realize is that the people who are the people who are making who, who are making millions and millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars and pounds and dirhams, they've got a different mindset, you know. So you, you you're around that mindset, the and it's in a mindset of abundance. When you go down the hierarchy and you look at the people who are struggling in life, struggling in life, they look at everything as a problem. Yeah. Right. Everything's expensive or a problem or unachievable. They look at the negative in any situation. You come to these people and their minds are open. Everything is possible. They you know, ways to make things work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If they if they've got a million in their pocket and they want to make an investment of fifty million, they're trying to piece it together of how they can make it happen, right? So that that you know that that abundance mindset that's what I learned over there more than anything else. That mindset of it doesn't matter what cards you you are dealt or what you have in your pocket. What matters is what you want to do and how you're going to go about doing it. That's what's most important. And and because, this, yeah. Yeah. Please, Let's fast forward a little bit. So then what happened is the Dubai property market crashed. Yeah. Oh, eight, so I'm, there, I'm there going around Dubai thinking, wow, I'm the man. You know, no one like my parents telling me life's hard, making money's hard, life is difficult, everyone making all this fuss about this. Man, this shit is easy. I'm blessed. I'm just amazing. Look at how much money I'm making. I'm making, I'm doing deals like this. I'm doing deals like that. I'm just like, wow. And uh, all of a sudden the Dubai property market crashed and you know, with it, my whole life came crashing down as well. So you're like, wow. Okay. What do you do now? Hey, no one, no, no one told, told us that somebody's going to stop the music at the party. Yeah. You know, the the, the DJ just turned the music off. Everyone stood there like, hey, yeah, right. everyone go home. <laughs> <laughs> everyone go home. <laughs> the bouncers start pushing everyone out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, then what happened is that I ended up moving to Spain. Um, I met some guys and I started, I moved out to Spain to do some business with them in Spain. That was okay. Uh, didn't work out as good as we wanted it to work out. And ultimately, I ended up back in my parents' house uh, in Pakistan. Um, living wow. in my house at like and, 24. And hearing, hearing, I told you so and all of this stuff. And you didn't and save 20, money and you didn't say, oh, wow. <laughs> not just, bro, it wasn't just, it wasn't just you didn't save money. Ended up there at 24 years old. I told you to finish university. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you don't listen to your mama. <laughs> um, he's like, no, it was mainly my dad, right? My okay. mom was, like, my mom's supportive. She doesn't, you know how mothers are, man. They, they, yeah. they, they, they believe in their children. They want to support their children. They don't want to break them and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to put too much pressure on them, right? They left it to your dad. father, yeah? yeah? My dad, oh my God. See, I told you, you wasted all that money at university, right? That I gave your fees at university, you wasted all that money. He's like, he's remembering shit. I brought you a brand new laptop. <laughs> he's, like, why did I, he's like, why did I buy you a laptop? Why did I buy you a brand new laptop when you weren't even studying? <laughs> he's like, where's that laptop now? 
Where's the laptop? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I remember. Maybe I sold it at some point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so at the time anyways, I was actually working on, while I was in Dubai, um, at some point I'd, I'd met Floyd Mayweather, right? The boxer. And yeah. he'd been out with us for like four or five nights, made good friends with him. And me and one of my friends, we made good friends with him. And then we called him and said, look, I had the idea. I was like, look, let's get Floyd out to the Middle East for a boxing event. So when, while I was sat there with no money and nothing to do, sat in Pakistan, had this bright idea. And uh, so we called Floyd and he was like, yeah, I'm up for it. And put, put us in touch with his manager. At the time, it was his manager called Al Heyman, who's now like one of the biggest guys in boxing. And uh, me and Al spoke a lot. Uh, we put together this entire deal. Um, it was all up for happening. Traveled out to Dubai, went to a sheikh, got in uh, Abu Dhabi, got the funding for the event as well. But at the last minute, it fell through because I was, I was, what I didn't do on day one, yes, I decided that Floyd Mayweather was going to come to fight in the UAE, but I didn't discuss with them who he's going to fight which is a very big piece of the puzzle. And I'm now going out to people and pitching this opportunity and saying it's a money-making opportunity. The revenue in boxing comes from pay-per-view, people paying to watch it, right? And so you need to have a good opponent on the other side to make it a big pay-per-view event. And this is when this was like 2009. So Floyd Mayweather wasn't the Floyd Mayweather of today. He was a 2009 version where you actually had to explain to people who he was. Today, you don't have to. Right? So he was trying to fight a really mediocre opponent, uh, which would be an exhibition fight, no pay-per-view or nothing. It would just be a fight in the Middle East where Floyd would make $25 million guaranteed purse. Um, but the, generally, all the revenue would just be ticket sales, which is not going to be that much, and it's a loss-making event. So ultimately, at the last hurdle, that all fell apart. So... Then I went back to Karachi after coming to Dubai to get the funding. And my dad had been listening to this story the whole time for like four months. And he's like, what is this bullshit story? <laughs> You're fucking taking $100 a week from me for pocket money, right? Like $12 a day, $15 a day pocket money from me. And you're telling me about a fight that you're going to get. $50 million funding for and this big star and that big star. He's like, you're living in dream world this whole time. So when I went back to him and said, it's not worked out, literally the next day he came to me and uh, he, he, he gave me a one-way ticket to London, 500 pound in cash and said, forget that you've got a family, forget that you've got a home. You're not welcome in this house until you're standing on your own two feet. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was harsh, man. At that time, it, was, it wasn't nice, man. It wasn't nice. Um, because all your life, you, you always think that, you know, if everything, when you're younger, if everything falls apart, if everything goes wrong, I've still got my parents behind me, right? That's where you think you're going to fall to in a worst case scenario. And when they turn you away and say, look, forget that we're here. You're not welcome here anymore. It really puts you in a weird position. That's a transformation uh, you know, from a kid to becoming a man. 
Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. process of doing it, that's what hell looks like, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> so, so you were disappointed, you were sad, you were lost, you were like, okay, now what, what should I do with Angry, my life? And it, I, had no, I had no idea, like, you know, where the, what, what the root was. I still, yeah. still deep down inside me, I knew I was going to do big shit, right? But at that point, that was really far away, it felt like. I didn't know where, that, that deep down part, I didn't know where it was because I was so lost in like, where do I go from here to survive, right? And all that you have under your name is 500 pounds, you know? Like 500, <laughs> 500, no, listen, that 500 pounds is not, like 500 pounds is not 500, it was 50 pounds because as, as soon as I got to London, I found a place from from. from Karachi, I found a place to rent in London and it was 450 pounds a month, right? It was somebody's house behind the house had a garage, the garage that converted to a studio apartment, right? And that was 450 pounds a month. Forget the fact that I had to give him 450. I think he actually wants one month deposit plus one month rent. He wants 900 pounds. I'm like, I've got to turn up there and convince this guy <laughs> to let me in by only giving him one month's rent, right? So yeah. I got there, really nice guy, Bangladeshi guy, really nice guy. I gave him the 450. He's like, don't worry about it. Let me move in. And I had 50 pound left. And that's it. That was me done. <laughs> so to, 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 you know, to take it from there, um, I literally, this was, I got there on a Saturday or a Sunday, Saturday, and I think Sunday I went and printed out my CVs. Monday morning, I went out, I got 50 or 100 copies of my CV, and I went out, and the first place I went to, I got a job, right? Amazing. Selling, sales job. Cold, it was no, no salary, commission only. And uh, from there, I'll cut a long story short, I built my way up. I ended up about a year and a half later starting my own company with a partner. The partner funded it. We started the company, uh, grew it from there. Within another year from there, I bought the partner out and it was just me. Grew the team to about 20 people. Um, Which activity? Property, property sales. Oh, real estate. Yes, okay. we were selling property in Spain and Prague. Okay. At that time, it was still after the financial crisis. So the banks had a lot of real estate they owned. We were working with the banks, with the real estate they owned, to sell it on uh, to investors over here at big discounts yeah. with really attractive financing. Just to get them liquidity. Yeah, exactly. Just to, but for them, they, don't, they had these massive like, developments of six, 700 apartments in one block. And it's not even feasible for them to rent it out because they don't have property management divisions or anything. So they literally sat with these dead, stagnant assets on their books, which are deteriorating. So they yeah. just wanted to get them off, of, off their books. So anyways, that got to a stage where we were probably selling, uh, we were probably doing a turnover of six, seven million pounds a year, right? Let me stop you right here. Yeah. So when did you pick up the phone and call your dad and told him, listen, I told you one day you're going to be proud of me and I just made it? No, I've never done that. I've never done really? that. Really? I've not got to that stage yet. Really? Like, I mean, when you had, like, you started doing the business, you have your home, you got, like, a stable life and you didn't tell him that. 
No. I mean, he, he obviously he always knew what I'm doing and heard about what I'm doing, but I never said that to him, you know? That, so, that, 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 didn't he tell you as of now, like, you know, like, I'm very proud of you, you know, and he didn't show you this affection yet? Honestly speaking. Um, no, I don't think so. Oh, wow. I Yeah. I, I also feel that, listen, I'm Lebanese, we have the Asian mindset, you know, I've been brought up, <laughs> I know the mentality, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he has it, it's, it's also, you know, we, we because I was such a rebellious child, right, and he was, he tried to be a very strict father, so we've got a complicated relationship, you know, yeah. those, those things, like, they stay there, you know, I was, I was really, really, really bad, and, and, and he wasn't really very tactful in the way he was dealing with me either. Right. So he was like, let's meet force with force. I was like a young, hot blooded force. Right. Instead of saying, right, how do I deal with this guy? He's like, let's go head on collision with this guy. You get what I mean? So anyways, but but point being that then. So what happened is that um, I've got to this stage. I bought out the partner. I've got the business up to turning over millions of pounds, got 15, 20 staff. And then I got an opportunity to go into a TV show, which was The Apprentice. The Apprentice, yeah. So I went on this TV show, and while you're on the TV show, you're not allowed to have any interaction with the outside world. So you've got no phone, no internet, no nothing. Um, and so before I left for the TV show, I told, I was the youngest person in my own company. I was 25 or 26 at the time. And I was the youngest person in my company. And I told the other guys in the team, my sales director, head of operations, and a business, the head of business development. Head of business development goes and finds the projects. Sales director, obviously he's a sales director. And head of operation manages all the back end, the mortgage applications and all this that mm -hmm. we have to do, right? I sat them down and explained to them, look, I've just gone to this TV show. This, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be gone for about six to eight weeks, and you're going to have no contact with me whatsoever. Everything's nice and steady. Just keep it going, right? Anyways, I went on to the show, and when I came back off the show, which is like, you know, four or five weeks later, I've come to the office on the next day, and there's like two junior guys sat there Like who are the, like the, the bottom of the pile in, in the sales team, and nobody else is there. And so I'm sat there for about half an hour, an hour. I called some of the senior guys. They didn't answer their phone. I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? So then I spoke to a couple of the, the banks and developers we worked with in Spain, and the first one I spoke to, he was like, oh, so you're back now? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm back. He's like, well, nice to hear from you and all this. And he was being a bit off. But I was like, okay, I didn't, I, I wasn't really friendly with him. So I just ended that call and said bye to him and tried to question him, but he didn't tell me anything. And I put the phone down. Then there was one bank guy who I was very friendly with. I called him and I was like, hey, what's happening? How's things going? He's like, Zishan, really, really disappointed in you. I can't believe you did this. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, listen, I was like, Something's really weird. I just called one of the guy before and he was saying, wow, welcome back. Thanks for turning up, you know, and all this kind of stuff, like being cheeky. And now you're telling me this. What is going on? He's like, Z, you left everyone and disappeared. I was like, what? He's like, well, your team came, right? The three senior people, 
Yeah. They came about five weeks ago. They came and visited us and said that you've disappeared. They've got no idea where you are, right? You're not contactable on the phone. They can't reach you. You basically just ditched everyone and left. And all the clients are theirs, right? And all the business is theirs, and they still want to put it through, but you, they don't know what to do because I've dis- because you've disappeared, as and I've disappeared. And I was wow. like, <laughs> I was like, shit, man. I was like, that's like, that's so fucked up. So, anyways, over the course of that day, I found out more and more, and basically, you know, we had we had backed up revenues in all of our existing sales of let's say about a mil- best part of a million pounds right and yeah you've got the cost associated and etc but still we would net like six seven hundred k out of that and they'd basically taken all of that business in the played the game while i was away right where these people have tried to call me and my phone's off and they're like all like see we told you he's disappeared he's gone you know he's left us all and made up stories about me and all this kind of stuff that's crazy uh, yeah, man. And I sat there that day and I was like, you know, look at this. Like, I had no money. Ended up in Pakistan. Dad fucking kicked me out. Right. Said, don't come back here. Came here. No money. Built this up the whole way. Went onto a TV show. And now fucking I'm not. Everything is gone. No, but now I'm not even at zero. Right. Now yeah, I actually owe people. I have debts because you know when you're running a business, you have existing, you have debts that you have to pay. And I'm like, now I'm like minus two, three hundred thousand. I'm like, where the fuck did I end up here? <laughs> <laughs> and that day, I sat down and I was like, I've got three choices from here, right? One choice is. I just admit that I'm not good enough for this, right? This is too much. I'm not good enough for it. I've got some very good skills. I can go and get a great job, get a great salary and make good money and just fucking quit this shit, right? Don't go in the business world. Just just go and settle and get a great job because I had great skills, you know, and, and I could have got a great job and earned great money. I thought I could do that. The second option is I can pursue these motherfuckers. Excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> That's the least to say, you know. <laughs> yeah. I said I can pursue these guys and try and get my six, seven hundred K that I'm owed, right? There was some complications to that. There's Spain, there's Prague, there's the UK, different territories, all sorts. And then the third option was put it all behind you, ignore them. Whatever's happened has happened. Focus on the positive. Focus on moving forward and do it again and do it bigger and do it better than before. And I really did think that option two and option three were exclusive of each other. I said, either I move forward and do it all again and forget about what they did to me and ignore it. Or I say, okay, no, I'm not going to ignore it and I'm going to pursue them and get my money back. But both things can't go hand in hand because if you're trying to move forward, but your mind's stuck in the past and getting angry and trying to get your money and fighting court cases. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You've got to do one or the other. And 
this is what I, within the same one day, I thought about all of this. And I said, by tomorrow morning, I'm going to decide. The next morning, I decided that I'm going to do it all over again and do it bigger and do it better. And so I, I closed our office down. I started paying back the debts. I started my office from my living room. And I was sat there all the way back to the beginning again, just sat there on my own, doing the marketing, making phone calls, selling the properties. I was selling properties, making money and paying people back, right? Because I was about to, in six months, come on the biggest TV show in the country, right? If I had debts outstanding and shit in the UK, all this is public knowledge. It would be in the newspapers, cool. you know? This guy claiming to be a great businessman owes this guy 10,000 pounds, owes this guy 5,000 pounds, owes this company 15,000 pounds. So I was literally there calling, making money, paying people back, paying people back. Um, and that was one investments. That was the beginning of one investments. No, you know, I had, I had the question I wanted to ask you, like, what was your biggest disappointment? But I'm sure you answered it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Or did you have yeah. any incident where you were, like, more disappointed? Like, did you have something that got you more disappointed in life? Mm. No, I think that that has to have been the toughest hour because it's like, it's like you, you know, when you have nothing and at that point, you know, you, you, something goes wrong. It's like, yeah, I don't have anything. Who cares? But when you've gone and you built it all the way up and you feel like I'm there now, And then it comes collapsing down. Yeah, not out even, of nowhere. You know, to minus. <laughs> so it's like, oh shit, man, how am I going to do it again? But when I did decide that I'm going to do it again and I'm going to put all the negativity behind me, the same thing that I achieved in five years, I achieved more than that in a year. Because it's like riding a bike. Once you know how to do it, I was doing it better. I was doing it bigger. I was not making a lot of mistakes that I made in the you past. You had the drive, you had the motivation, you had the deadline, you had six months to finish all of this, so it yeah, all came yeah. in perfectly. Uh, the, uh, let's talk about something before we get to how did you start and build the, the one investment. Uh, there is a stage in your life, you know, where you start like out, outgrowing people you know, and start losing friends or so-called friends or what you used to be friends because you were on the same level. Uh, for me personally, when it started happening to me, I was always wondering, man, like why? You know, I've been nice to everyone. I helped everyone. Like I cannot remember anyone came to me. I turned them down, whether it was for advice or, or for anything, you know what I mean? And why? And then later on, it took me like a few years to understand like the problem is not me. And anyone who was in my spot, he would have been getting the same hate. You know, it's not personal, it's about the position. So tell me about this experience when it started happening to you. How did you overcome it? Man, many people um, who you do, I, I, I have been also, by the way, I've been very lucky with having been blessed with a lot of people around me who are not like that, right? But I did encounter quite a few people like that where, you know, they would, they would be someone very close to you and you would try to help them, right? Those close to you, you try and help them and they would throw it back in your face, right? Yeah. After a period of time and try and say that, 
you know, you, 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 they helped you in some way or you cheated them in some way, you know, yeah. for example, some people, uh, friends, you know, who, who wanted jobs and I gave them a job, you know, and after six months, they went around and said, oh, you know, I made him so much money and he didn't give us enough money, you know? So you get people like that, man. It's just part of the journey, I think. You just got to accept it. That, that it's been, The difficult stage of business is, is that after you take off or before you make it, that's the difficult stage. Because at that yeah. point, you're still accessible to everyone where you're not actually high enough where people are like, okay, fair enough, he's made it. You're in that middle stage where people are like, he's trying it, he's a faker, Will he make it? Will he not? So they want to throw yeah, shit. He got lucky. You know, he got lucky. He found the bag of money, and that's where he made all of his fortune. Yeah, once <laughs> once like you do all the things that say, "I," you know, I've made it, then everyone's like, "He's the best guy in the world." Wow, what a genius! But in Let the me middle, tell you how I met him. You know, let me tell you the story. <laughs> so basically, when you've got the Rolls Royce, you're cool. But when you're driving yeah. the BMW, you got problems. <laughs> yeah, like. Mm. <laughs> All your friends, all your family members, everyone around you, they, they, they want to throw mud at you at that stage. It's, it's human nature because I, I spoke about this the other day as well on, on a podcast. And it was like, and a lot of people, and I put a video out about this, and a lot of people commented and said it's wrong. And I said that when you're trying to make moves in life that are like big moves, the people around you, especially in your early stages, they will try and stop you, of right? Course. If you go, if you come from a group of friends or family who are not into business, who are all like, you know, they work certain types of jobs and you go in there and say, look, I'm going to go and move to a different country and start a business in that different country. They'll all try and stop you. There's a few reasons for it. One reason is that because they don't understand the risk taking element of that. Right. But the other side to it also is because at the end of the day, they don't want you to exceed them. Now, that doesn't mean they don't want you to exceed them in the way that they don't want to see you successful. What it means is that they don't want you to leave them. In their own selfish way, you're friends with them. They don't want that they're here and you go here and they lose you in their lives. So they try and keep you with them. And a lot of people commented on that and said, no, 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 it's not true. It's not true. That's, friends support you and all this. I'm like, so very lucky to find those friends. Like, listen, Z, you know, when I'm doing the seminars, I always say the first thing, you need to unlearn what you got to know from your parents because they got to know the same stuff from their own parents. This yeah. is a generation that lived the World War One, World War Two. you know. For them, getting a steady job, nine to six, it means like you're living okay. Just get yourself to meet any girl and just marry her and start a family. And once you will have the kid, they were like, that's the life. But no, in our generation, if you're not really like you have the steady life and you get yourself to a marriage and you're living nine to six, you know, in a few years, you're going to get, start getting the credit cards and start going down and the relationship will start getting affected, you know, and the woman will make her man feel like he's not man enough and look at our neighbors and look at this. And that's what, by creating this chaos, you know what I mean? So that's, I would say, you know, unlearn what you learn from your parents. If you have a feeling that you need to do something, just do it. You don't have to be in university. It's an absolute waste of time. Unless if you're going to be a doctor, like something that you really have to study for, then do it. 
But just like to come in and say, I'm going to be an architect. Yeah, that's amazing. But there's a software now that does all of the stuff in five minutes, you know, without you being learning the stuff for yeah. six, seven no, years. Or saying, I'm just going to go to university and do a degree in business. You're better off working for three years. You know, instead of yeah. doing a degree in business, go and work for three years in a business. That's the best thing to do. And lose the money. It's not a problem. Lose the money yeah. because that will be the best future in your life. Yeah, exactly. And, you, and, you, and you're not going to go and pay all the fees, etc. You might make money instead in the next three years of, of actually doing it practically. So, 100%. And, and again, it's a very sensitive topic where people say, oh, parents, my parents say this, and my parents said do this, my parents said do that. Look, if you want to be a doctor and your parents are doctors, then listen to what they're saying. They can tell you the route to become a doctor. But if you want to be a billionaire and your parents are not billionaires, then I'm sorry, they can't tell you what you need to do to get there. Get yourself a billionaire mentor to teach you how to do it. <laughs> exactly. You're asking the wrong person. They, don't, they didn't yeah. go there. This is not what they do in life. But they didn't go down that route. I, I want to say something, but I don't want to sound harsh. What I'm feeling in our, in our generation, parents want their children to achieve their own dreams. What the parent has as dreams, and they couldn't do it, so they want to see it in their children. That's the yeah. ugly truth. Yeah. So, Z, let's go back to starting the one investment. Just final on the parents thing. The other yeah. thing is, parents will always choose the lowest risk option for their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah? They don't want their children to be in situations or positions where they have to struggle and be in difficult situations. So they will tell you, get the best education, go and work for a big blue chip company and have a simple life because that's low risk, right? They don't, they, they, inherently, they look at their children and they're like, okay, I just don't want them to be in problems, right? So if you want to be an entrepreneur, your parents probably aren't the best people to get advice from unless they are entrepreneurs themselves. Of course. So let's go back to one investment. You you founded the company and you started selling in Dubai and you made crazy numbers in Dubai. Um, why why was Dubai? It was because you missed those days or because it was the pickup of the market back in Dubai? Like why why Dubai? Why did we start selling Dubai? Because um, it was actually a conversation um, with a friend of mine um, and his, his family, they own Damak. So I was discussing with him about the UK market and, you know, what the opportunities are in the UK market. Um, and they were always sort of marketing to the GCC clientele coming to the UK in the summer. And I was like, look, there's a different market over here, right? Which are the British people over here. Traditionally, mainly Pakistani and Indians and Bangladeshis who live over here, who've been here for two or three generations. Dubai for them is a second home. And you've got other people as well, but nobody's targeting them. Um, so I noticed that gap in the market. I discussed with him and he's like, okay, great. You know what? Make it happen. Let's do something. So we started targeting them people and doing crazy numbers. That's it. All right. 
See, this has been extremely wonderful. I don't want to take more of your time. I just want to finish it by asking you one question. What yeah. did you learn from Corona, from all of the situation? Man, I learned so much. So many things, honestly, I learned from COVID so much. Look after your health. Yeah. Look after your well-being. Right. Don't take life so seriously. Don't stress so much. Enjoy it. Chill out. Man, COVID for me, I mean, it's sad. So many people lost their lives. For me, it's been a blessing, man. I got to just realign my life. I was like so focused on one track of business. My health was out of place. My well-being was out of place. I just got the time to just, everything just slowed down. I just got time. It paused, life, man. And yeah, just, life paused, and it was like, that's the awakening. Here you go, wake up. <laughs> and I just got time to align. Dude, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for dropping you know, all of this knowledge. 